This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda. I'm Johnny Hart. And I'm Trader Nick. Welcome back to the Market Insights Market Pulse podcast. And today we're joined by Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham in London. Craig, how are you doing? Really good. How are you both? Very good, thanks. Great. One thing that we paid attention to this morning, of course, was the dollar. The dollar uh, flying high here this morning. Uh, and an impressive move, I would say. I've been pretty bearish on the dollar in the last few weeks, and this dollar move uh, admittedly caught me a little bit by surprise. It seems that the market recently has increasing fears around the debt uh, ceiling situation here in the United States. Uh, this is not something new to markets. I was actually reading something this morning uh, talking about U.S. history, and uh, we've done this event uh, since inception, I think around seven. 75 plus times. And each time, of course, it eventually turns into raising the debt ceiling and uh, going on with our situation. Of course, uh, without getting too much into politics, what seems to generally happen is that both sides of the aisle, they debate on certain uh, clauses and, and things that need to happen in order to raise the debt. They come to a compromise and it happens. So in my opinion, this dollar rally that we're seeing uh, is not something that I think is, is likely to sustain itself at this pace for very long. Now, of course, as always with these podcasts, we're sharing our takes and we can be right or wrong. None of this is financial advice, but I think that the dollar move here uh, looks a bit overextended as is, and in my opinion, shouldn't proceed too much higher. Because off the back of this, I think one thing to consider is that you know, in recent data, CPI and PPI, we both saw those numbers show some evidence of a cooling inflation number, which has been yet over and over again repeated by uh, the Federal Reserve to be their primary focus right now. With those numbers cooling, I think that in terms of dollar upside, um, once this 24-hour uh, news cycle blows over on the debt ceiling, it could pass and that this dollar strength could uh, give way to a little bit of a sell-off. That, that's my take on it. We'll see if that is correct. Craig, I'd love to get your take. Speaking dollar, what do you think about the debt ceiling? Do you think it's worth really um, going too far into or, or not really? Yeah, it's pretty hard to disagree with anything you've said, to be quite honest. From one perspective, yeah, the dollar has been weak for quite a while. It maybe started to look a little exhausted over the last month or so. We kept hitting those lows and we kept seeing those support levels uh, creeping in uh, and that margin was getting quite fine. So it was always a case of which direction we we're going to break out in. And it's one of those things, the more it compresses, the more uh, volatile the breakout seems to be. I do think it's quite interesting that with all of this debt ceiling talk that the dollar has been the kind of haven of it all. The, the, this idea that the US could default on its debts and its own currency is where the safe money is going. But I do think that is actually having a, a role to play. Uh, I think maybe we are seeing, if we are seeing saying yields move a little bit higher, which is, if I'm not mistaken, we often see that going into these debt ceiling deadlines, as you say, never going to happen. Let's just make this perfectly clear right now. The US is not going to hit the debt ceiling. There is no default. That would be so catastrophic, such an own goal at the absolute worst time. It's terrible at any time, frankly, but especially now. Uh, so that's not going to happen. But if we are going to see yields moving higher as we do go into these discussions, just pricing in that additional risk, uh, then then that could potentially be what is one of the things that are supporting the dollar. Maybe it is just, as we've said, it's this idea of, it's coming, we should price it in, 
maybe a little bit of risk aversion, but no one thinks it's going to happen because I think if anyone thought it was a realistic possibility, I think people would still be steering clear of the dollar, not moving uh, towards it. But then I also agree with you that I'm not sure if it's that sustainable. Um, the US uh, is gonna is heading for a sticky period. I think this next three months data is going to be uh, really intriguing. I think it's where we're going to start to see signs of credit markets tightening, where we're going to start to see signs of the economy slower, consumer spending drying up, um, uh, an inflation cooling, the labour market softening, all of these things which are going to lend itself to being able to price in uh, more uh, some Fed rate cuts potentially later on uh, this year, which lends itself, in my perspective, to a softer uh, US dollar, especially when, when we're looking at elsewhere. We, we can't be quite so uh, certain is absolutely not the right word, but we can't be so quite assured uh, in that kind of assessment. We look here in the UK. Inflation still above 10% is expected to drop sharply, but I mean, it's dropping sharply from an extortionately high number. Uh, and uh, Europe still has a way to go, still got rate hikes to go, so there's no clear uh, path really where these rate hikes are going to end. So it does seem like the dollar could potentially still have a little bit more downside to play out once we do, uh, once we've gone past this maybe period of consolidation, or maybe it's basically a bit of a minor correction of sorts. And I think that in terms of the uh, the, the numbers that you mentioned to seeing uh, off of this uh, this debt ceiling, when you when you pull back that and you look a little beyond that, we saw a retail sales numbers show some signs of slowing. We also had uh, news several news events recently that have shown some slowing in uh, the economy already. I think that that story coupled with inflation cooling, um, you know, it definitely puts a, a counterbalance to this dollar move uh, that I think is worth mentioning. Um, we also, of course, saw the metals market. We saw uh, gold take a bit of a dive. I mentioned last time that I was uh, bullish on gold. It seems like uh, my timing was definitely off there uh, as gold retreated from that 2000 mark, broke underneath it and made its way back down to 1980. So my thought here with, with gold is that I was thinking that the floor may have been in at that 2000 mark. With this recent development with dollar strength coming in, it broke that support and we're now trading at the time of recording this podcast around 1980 uh, per ounce. I think that that's kind of an interesting thing because similar to what you were saying about with the dollar, uh, a bit of surprise there in the sense that you know that's the one people are rushing to when it's the US debt that is in a crisis itself um, or, or in concern itself. I find it also kind of interesting that we did not see uh, some pop to the upside on gold as people may be a little bit fearful around the event. Uh, regardless, it's that dollar strength that seems to be stubbornly pushing price down on gold. Um, personally, like I said, my, my idea that I had previously on gold has uh, sort of dried up for the time being, lost its shine, if you will. Uh, and until it returns, I'll be waiting to see if uh, price action technicals can start to trend back up before I'm looking for any signs of, of trying to buy uh, again. I still think that off the back of this, we still have the overarching story about uh, what some are calling sort of the slow crash of regional bank stocks. They've slowly started to trickle off and have more and more more problems. We'll see if that uh, that story resurfaces, uh, or perhaps if um, you know if this debt ceiling situation does suddenly cause uh, a bigger fear, gold could resurface again uh, in, in in that regards. What are, what are your thoughts on on maybe metals, but also just commodities in general at this time? Maybe oil, gold. What what are you thinking about that? 
I think with gold, the I think we've talked about this before. Was my only fear with gold isn't that the longer I don't think there's longer term scope for it. My only fear with gold was that we were just seeing signs of that trend exhausting, um, and I don't necessarily think that's the reason why we've uh, seen it move move lower per se. I do think there is a strong element of the fact that we've seen the dollar strengthen, and I think there's a strong element of the fact that we've seen yields bounce back, and I'm sure that's probably closely tied to those uh, debt ceiling things and as you say when we see periods of uncertainty you'd think that gold could potentially uh do well but um it, it, regardless of uncertainty regardless of risk aversion if yields us yields are rising the dollar strengthening gold typically if i'm not mistaken just doesn't stand a chance um and that's what we've seen now materialize particularly over the course of the last few three four days or so um and and in terms of levels i think the one that really stands out for me is it's, it's give or take i never talk about specific levels some like you, we can see sometimes when it's like 1961.47 and it's like i'm never really that specific because i think you've always got to look at other indicators on the chart to see where things start to stabilize and and, and rotate and uh, i think 1960 give or take is the one that's really interesting for me because you've got that's the peak from uh, early february and it's also roughly around the floor for from anything from really late March through to early May. And I think if we see a break at that level, that really does strongly suggest, in my view, that we have seen that uptrend, that strong uptrend that we've seen, uh, that it's that it's no longer, not necessarily in play per se, but that, that, that maybe people are taking a pause, as, as you've alluded to, taking a break and letting it run, run out. Uh, and maybe that's a sign that we are seeing a bit more of a deeper correction in gold, which given it's been a, an incredibly powerful, uh, well, we're looking at seven months now since early November, um, maybe not the worst thing in the world, maybe not the most surprising when if we're looking in hindsight a bit, but um, I think if we see a break in 1960, that could potentially signal a slightly deeper correction is on the cards. Um, in, in the rest of the commodity space, yeah, oil's, oil's quite interesting, to be honest. I mean, there's so many big factors at play um, that I think are that are lending to this, but there's two dominant ones. There's always dominant ones and then there's underlying trends which help to tick things along. The, the For me, the dominant stories for, for oil at this point in time is still what's happening in US banks, which I don't think is getting enough kind of airtime more generally when we're looking at when I'm reading different stories on oil. I, don't, I think there's a lot of talk about debt talks with oil and I think there's a lot of talk about uh, one or two other aspects, but I don't think there's enough talk about the banks because if you look at when the last two big sell-offs occurred, they both occurred around the failure of banks. SVB was the first bank to fail uh, back in March and that's where we saw oil plunge from around $80 to $70 before shortly before the OPEC intervention. When we saw it break earlier this month um, from around, again, around close to $80 back to $70. That was around the, the time when um, JP Morgan rescued First Republic. And I think that's the big downside risk is that we see another we see another collapse of, in one of these mid-tier regional US banks. And I think that could be something that's plausible, let's face it. I'm not saying it's going to be a full-blown banking crisis, but is there, if you said to me now, do you think there's more likely to be a, another bank failure or not? I'd say probably another bank failure, but let's just hope not too many because that's just I just think that's the uncertain situation which we're currently in. So that's one of the big downside risks uh, for me for oil. I think China is more of a slow burn because I think we're slowly seeing signs that this recovery is not as strong as as it looked in January, February time, uh, but also not as maybe strong as many some hopes. I think we're going to see some stimulus, some uh, rate cuts in, in China, uh, cuts to the LPR um, and the medium term uh, 
uh, medium financing rate uh, and I think that could potentially help to lift the Chinese economy but at this point in time we're seeing consumer activity but we're not we're seeing industrial activity we're seeing um, uh, trade is continuing to uh, struggle so that's a bit of a slow burn downside risk for oil and then the big upside risk is the obvious one it's all the producers if they say another million barrels a day goes then all of a sudden you see uh, oil bump higher i think there's obviously other smaller factors at play here as well but i think they're the real dominant ones as far as i'm concerned of course we're going to hear from jerome powell on friday but we've had andrew bailey admitting for the first time today that the uk is up against a wage price spiral which is pretty much a sign that the bank of england is getting increasingly concerned about this inflation number becoming more of a protracted crisis. Most people were expecting the number to come down before now, and that is having an effect on wage demands, Craig. We've seen that in talks between the government or certainly the uh, governing bodies and the unions, and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and could be more of a problem going forward for the Bank of England more than any other central bank. Well, I think I think there's a couple of things which really stand out here. It's uh, one is that inflation has remained higher in the UK than it has in the US and elsewhere, and we've got to be asking questions about why that is. About uh, is it simply energy that, that's driving that? Of course, we know that food price inflation at the moment is around twenty percent, so we know that that's uh, high, and it's dri- again driven by these one-off factors. And it's like saying one-off factors is an unpopular thing to say right now because it brings us all back to the transitory moments of early twenty twenty-two. Um, but I do think we are going to see a sharp decline in inflation, but people just don't know that yet. We've lived with double-digit inflation now for many months, so it is almost ingrained in our psyche. We need to start seeing it come down before I think it's going to have an impact on wages. Uh, we're talking about wages at around 5 6 7% at this point in time, but I mean, if you're facing inflation and have done for uh, 10% for, for such a long period of time, then when you're going into these wage negotiations or you're looking for new jobs, then yes, you need to see these types of wage growth. It's only when inflation starts to come down that the bargaining can happen almost both ways. I mean, you're still almost taking a 4 5 6% pay cut um, uh, at those levels in, in real terms. Uh, so you've got to expect that we're going to see higher wages. The question is what happens when inflation falls? Uh, where are these wage negotiations going to be? Well, we're going to be in a very different position. The one thing you can say with the Bank of England is they love to put their foot in it and they love to make the wrong comment at the wrong time. Whether that's Andrew Bailey a while back advising everyone to not ask for more money when they go into their wage negotiations because they're going to fuel inflation. Or if it's Hugh Pill recently telling everyone they need to just accept that we're poorer. They've never been good with words. The thing with Andrew Bailey here is he's almost trying to, I feel, almost kind of jolt us into realising that the only way to solve this is for lower wages. And he's maybe just taking a slightly different approach. And I think in reality, I think we're going into a scenario where wage growth is going to be lower because rather than be next when we, when it comes to negotiating wage over the course of the next 12 months rather than being in an environment where we've got an extremely tight labor market companies that fear losing staff because they find them really hard to replace and almost the kind of bargaining power being with employees in a high inflation environment where employees have a very good reason to be demanding much higher wages I think we're going to see lower inflation because I think inflation is going to roughly halve this year anyway just as a result of lower energy prices and lower food prices and I think the labour market's going to be less tight. We've seen two-tenths of 1% increase in unemployment in the last two months here in the UK, and that could continue to tick higher. We've got more people rejoining the workforce um, as well, uh, which we saw from the latest jobless data uh, as well here in the UK. So I think we're going to see a little bit more slack in the labour market, a little bit less movement, a little fewer job openings, things like that. All these things which create um, a slightly looser labour market and remove some of that bargaining power aligned with 
half the rate of unemployment and I think you will just naturally see wages come down. I think the Bank of England's fear is that uh, it, they're fearing a wage price spiral rather than necessarily saying we're in one. I don't feel like we're yet in one um, and I don't feel like we're ultimately going to see one but we're now in this sticky in-between phase. I've been saying this for a long time. The summer is this sticky in-between phase where central banks want to stop hiking. The data isn't quite there to justify it and I think we've just got to remain calm for a couple of months and just wait to see how things start to play out. Thanks, Craig. And yeah, I think just in general, the the story remains, as we've been talking about on the podcast for a while, the UK uh, has a serious inflation problem. And in terms of the pound for pound pairs, um, I think we, we've that's one area where we've we've agreed there's been some room for upside for pound pairs uh, with this continuing problem and a constant narrative from the Bank of England that you know uh, we think the economy is strong enough, we think it can handle it, wage spirals, all of these things combined create a narrative that the pound has room and, and continues to have room, I think, uh, to the upside there going forward due to all of these uh, effects. At the end of the day, we take all of this stuff and, and as traders and investors, uh, who of course all of you guys in the audience who are listening, you know is, this stuff is not easy, but we take as many factors into consideration as we can to try and make better informed decisions, which of course is the purpose of this podcast. Uh, I also want to turn our attention to, uh, Johnny made mention to it earlier, we do have Jerome Powell speaking on Friday. Uh, he's involved in a, a panel. Uh, it is in Washington, D.C. Uh, and of course, anytime the man speaks, the markets are listening because any hints or, or drops that he could uh, be asked or discussed in detail about uh, the Federal Reserve's next move will be closely monitored. Of course, we will be back on the podcast going over all of that with you guys here to keep you up to date and informed. Great stuff, uh, Nick. Thank you very much, Craig, for joining us today. And we'll speak to you again very soon. Thanks, Johnny. Thank you. Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.